Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. Being different is not easy. Just ask Kermit the Frog with his famous song, It Ain't Easy Being Green, before, of course, being green became so popular. Uh, It's not easy standing out from the crowd, swimming against the flow, because, to coin another phrase, even a dead fish can swim with the tide. The other way, of course, is much harder. And that was very much the experience of the nation of Israel, as we've noticed as we work our way through the overarching storyline of the Bible in four parts. This morning, part three. Week one, we saw the good creation gone bad as humanity decided to decree right and wrong for ourselves and ended up very quickly in a brother-against-brother bloodbath. Week two, we saw the promise to Abraham who would seed a mighty nation of people who were going to be different, pursuing what was right and just and living in a promised land of their own. But as last week in part two Moses warned them, we saw on the brink of the promised land that if they wanted to keep living in the promised land, they would need to keep living different. Now that's bad grammar, I know. When Steve Jobs was releasing the Mac computer, they needed a motto. They had a computer you could draw things on, that you could move things around on with a mouse. Someone said, let's make our motto think differently. Steve Jobs said, no, it's got to be think different. We want it stronger, we want it to stick, which it did. Now, friends, this is bigger than an advertising campaign for a computer system. Through God, through Moses, sorry, God was calling a nation of people, a kingdom of people, not just to live differently as if it was a minor hobby, but to live profoundly different. And most especially, not to bow to the gods that the other nations around them do. Because if they do, says Moses, they'll find themselves smashed and scattered, no longer in the promised land, and only a faraway hope of ever coming home. Which brings us this morning very briefly to the book of Joshua. If you have an actual Bible in your hands, uh, they're scattered around the pews, uh, then you can flip through perhaps and get the feel of where we are in the Old Testament's progress. Joshua takes a leading role. But the message is the same. They cross the River Jordan, they fight the famous Battle of Jericho that the choir sang about last week, Gradually, they take control of the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 24, Moses makes a speech 
sorry, Joshua makes a speech echoing the words of Moses, his predecessor. He says, make up your minds. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Make up your minds. Are you going to live different or not? And verse 16, the people answer, sure we will. The Lord brought us here. The Lord drove out the nations before us. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Brave words. I wonder how they'll go. If you started flipping through a Bible, keep going and you get to the book of Judges where God again gives the Israelites two ways to be different. As the Israelites settle into the promised land of Canaan, surrounded by neighbours with a very different set of values. The people up in the hills are worshipping Asherah, the fertility goddess. Now, to worship Asherah, you have week-long drunken sex parties, which apparently guarantees your flocks will be fertile. Sounds like a win-win. And yet you'll remember God has already given Israel the first way to be different and that is to worship him only. To the west they're worshipping Baal. They sacrifice their kids to make the crops grow. Funny isn't it in the end it's all about crops. It's all about prosperity. It's all about getting some kind of leverage over nature. And, And the crops over there are looking so good. So why not mix and match? I mean, why not be flexible? Why not have an each-way bet? Why not do the Baha'i thing and say it's all good as long as you're spiritual? Well, only one reason. And that's because the God who made them and saved them from slavery is a God of righteousness and justice. And he says... Live different. Because I'm God and they are just lumps of wood that the other nations worship that in the end do nothing. The book of Judges tells the story of which way Israel turns when they're faced with the choice between God or lumps of wood. And it's a sad story. If you've been following the timeline, you'll find we've moved along to about the point you might be able to see on the screen. We'll pick it up from verse 10 of Judges chapter 2 and you can see what happens when Joshua dies. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt They followed and worshipped the various gods of the peoples around them. 
And so in the book of Judges, there's a, there's a famous cycle that when the Israelites turn back to God and call on him to save them, he'll raise up a judge like Samson, the famous Sunday school story, like Gideon. Now, it's actually a very interesting and distinctive model of governance. And it's meant to be. It's Israel living different. Because every other nation around them has a king, a forceful, regal presence with a palace and servants and soldiers on call. Israel, quirky, didn't. The reason being, of course, that God is their king, who every now and then when they need it gives them a judge. But astonishing if you were a visitor to Israel and you said, take me to your leader, where's the palace? And you'd say, well, there isn't one because our God is our king. But by Judges chapter 8, verse 22, the Israelites aren't so sure about that. And after Judge Gideon has a big win against the Midianites, they want to promote him. They say to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, make a dynasty because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. Which Gideon very wisely declines in verse 22 for exactly the right reason. He says, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Or at least that's the plan. Now next, if you're flipping along through your Bible, comes the book of Ruth, where there's an unusual story of a family line that is really going to go places. But we'll skip that for the moment and go straight to 1 Samuel. Now look, you might think this is hard work this morning, all these different parts of the Bible. But what you're getting is the distilled essence of pages and pages and chapters and chapters. There's an app these days called Blinkist that gives you 15-minute audio summaries of popular business books for just $9.99 a month. Well, think of this as Bible Blinkist and you're getting it free. So, 1 Samuel. Samuel is both a priest and the last in the long line of judges. You can read his life story in chapters 1 to 7, but for now we're heading to chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 5, because the pressure for a king has been building up in the background. The elders of Israel get together, they come to Samuel, and here's what they say to him. They say, you're old, your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And God says to Samuel, warn them, but do what they say. It's not you they're rejecting as king over them, it's me. So give them what they want. And so they choose the tallest, best-looking guy they can find and anoint him, King Saul, who, as you keep reading, is an unmitigated disaster of a king. And that's the disaster that unfolds in the chapters ahead. 
But again, what I most want you to notice is the reason that they want him. We want to be just like everybody else. That's the essence. We're tired of living different. We're tired of our invisible king. We want to be just like everybody else. Which is where we're going to leave the story for next time. But let me finish by saying there's an issue here we can't afford to leave in the history books. Uh, This is not just Israel's story in a sense, is it? As the story unfolds, there comes another king who will see David, born into the line of Ruth and Obed, that little book we skipped, who foreshadows an even greater king in the future, an anointed one called King Jesus. We use the word Christ, which is the Greek version of that word, anointed one, Messiah, who is the one we, of course, honour when we call ourselves Christian. Simply put, it means we give our allegiance to Christ Jesus as King. We do that, you'll be glad to know, without all the rules and laws of ancient Israel. We're moved by the spirit of his kingdom and by the things he's taught us to live different. In a way that Israel, over the big story we're tracing, failed to do over and over again. You see this King Jesus at work in the New Testament Gospels. The book of Acts, Peter and Paul and the apostles are travelling around the Roman Empire preaching Christ Jesus is king and causing riots because in the imperial Roman Empire there can only ever be one king and that is Caesar which of course gets them in all kinds of trouble. Acts chapter 17, verse 7, that was our second reading, here's the accusation against them. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. This was a tumultuous idea at least if you took it seriously. An idea that historian Tom Holland argues changed the course of Western civilisation, that introduced us to values like equality, compassion, consent, ideas absolutely foreign to Roman power culture. Freedom, that people are not property, Ideas we have like progress and social reform. There was none of that in Rome. Taking Jesus as king made a profound difference to the way people were living their lives. Although it is interesting, in a recent article on the top 100 figures of historical influence, Michael Hart rates Jesus as only number three. After number one, he says, the prophet Muhammad, and number two, Isaac Newton. Number three, he said, because unlike the followers of Muhammad, most 
followers of Jesus don't seem to take him seriously. It's a terrible critique, isn't it? Perhaps because there are lots of people who are still social Christians, as we call them, not really committed to King Jesus in any meaningful way that makes them different. What about you? When it comes to what idols you're worshipping, it's really very evident, isn't it, in how different you are to the people next door or how different you're not when it comes to the people you're serving. When it comes to the crunch, is there any kind of turmoil where you are? Even the slightest blip of surprise that you are saying and living as if there is indeed another king, one called Jesus, and that he's king over you. A king who transcends your politics, is neither liberal nor labour, and not even teal or green. Who's more important than your next holiday, the cruise, more important than your self-described identity, or even more important than the size of your bank balance. By the end of the book of Judges, there was a sad refrain. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There should never be any excuse for people looking at us Christians and saying, well, there's no king here. Everyone just does what they say is best for themselves. Because, friends, we have got a king and it should be obvious in the way we live our lives. Remarkably different in a way that lights up your neighbourhood, that makes your workplace a better place to be because you're there in a way that puts self-sacrificial love into action, in ways that really make a difference. Because you follow the light of a different sun and are held safe and secure by a different shield, moved by a different spirit. And so you're prepared and willing as a servant of King Jesus to live different. Are you? Or are you just going to swim with the tide? You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.